Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hayes' Higher Learning. My name is Ashley Hayes, and I am so excited about this week. This week, we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is money. We're going to talk about investing, life planning, insurance, and everything in between. And I have invited a very special guest, Ryan Walker. Ryan Walker is a financial advisor with Edward Jones. Edward Jones is a full-service investment firm. He's been working with Edward Jones since June 2011. He's originally from Northern California, but wanted to go to an HBCU, and they don't really have that in the West Coast. So he decided to move down South and attended school at Tuskegee University in Alabama, where he studied both finance and economics, then moved to the Atlanta area after graduating. His office is in Roswell, about 30 minutes north of Atlanta, and he's a second-generation financial advisor. His father works for the firm as well. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ashley. I'm very, very excited about today's uh, conversation. I've uh, spent a lot of time thinking about uh, what today may be like and the, the topics we may go over. I'm excited. So you and I have an interesting story about how we connected, and I like to share that with our audience. Um, so my godfather, who was on a recent episode, has worked with your dad, who's been a broker for over 30 years. And I know my godfather credits him with like so much of his financial security, and he decided to retire early and was able to do that. What inspired you to get into the business, and why is helping people invest and plan for the future important to you? Well, ironically enough, I wasn't initially inspired to get into the business when I was younger. Although it was what my father did, I think fathers have become really clever these days. For a long time ago, the 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 situation may be, hey son, you know, one day you'll pick up the family business and you know you'll you'll pick up and start to do whatever it is that I do. But I feel like fathers have gotten clever over the years. And instead of kind of insisting or encouraging their their children to follow the footpath, they kind of just give them the options and it's just kind of there if you want it, but if you don't, that's fine as well. So initially, even from the time that I went down mm-hmm. uh, south to attend Tuskegee University, even as a freshman, um, I initially started as a freshman as an undecided major, not sure what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. At some point in time, um, Edward Jones recruiters actually came to my university. Uh, they bought pizza. Uh, as a as a as a broke <laughs> college student, if you come and you buy pizza, you you got our attention. Mm-hmm. And they told us about the Edward Jones opportunity and what it was like to be a financial advisor and some of their history. And as a again broke college student, I'm sitting there. I'm a millennial, like a lot of us are, and a lot of millennials are really looking forward to being entrepreneurs. They don't want to work in corporate America, working for a boss or working for someone else. They they kind of want to have their own set up. So mm-hmm. the more I heard about the Edward Jones opportunity and being a financial advisor, the more I realized that it's a perfect mixture of a, a 100% do it all yourself and a 100% working for a company that does it all themselves. Um, as an, as an mm-hmm. advisor, you're set up one advisor in each office. You've got your office, you've got your name on the front door, you have an admin, you guys work together and you're a branch team. And the more I listen to the opportunity to be in control of my own future and set, you know, the bar where I wanted to, the more attracted I got to the idea. So I remember I had uh, already successfully secured a summer internship with Edward Jones before I even told my family about it. And by the time they knew about it, I did a second internship and then I came on board with them immediately once I graduated to Tuskegee. So that, that was kind of the story yeah. of how I got here. 
now that I'm here, one of the things that inspires me the most is I kind of had an idea that I can kind of help people that aren't familiar with investing and aren't aware of how investments work. I kind of had a feeling that I could tap into a few of those markets and kind of bring education to a few different um, groups that don't necessarily have access to that. And I think I'll talk a little bit more about that today because that's kind of coming to a forefront literally right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's an ama- that's a very interesting story. And I like your point about dads because I just told Ed, I think I'm going to law school next year. And it's like, you know, he didn't push me in that direction, but now now we've arrived here. So that's always a good point. They, they, they do a good job of being role models in the sense that you realize you want to be like them. And then by the time you realize what you're doing, you're halfway through a career path. But I will exactly, and I, and I will say this: um, similar uh-huh. to yourself, of growing up and hearing those stories from Ed, I grew up and heard some similar stories from my father. And it's funny because whenever I, I I hear the story and I ask, like, "What did Ed do? Or what was your relationship like?" I don't know if Ed has told you this or not, but uh, Cedric basically just says, "Ed made it easy. All he did was he listened, mm-hmm. he took the advice, and he was very disciplined." with his saving and with his spending. And because he was good at his saving and his spending, he didn't ultimately need much. He was just very disciplined with his approach. Yeah, he has. So he's like, you know, I did what Cedric said. <laughs> I gave him my money. <laughs> and I think that um, now I'm like, you know, I'm going to do what Ryan says because I definitely trust you. It's a, it's a working partnership. It's a partnership. And- Absolutely. But it's working well. And I'm curious, Ryan, how early do you think people should start saving for the future? Mm, I almost want to say there's no right or wrong answer. There is definitely a right and a wrong answer. <laughs> the right answer is as soon as they can. Um, kind of going back to the air thing, at the end of the day, saving or investing or preparing for any financial goal, whether it's taking a trip out of the country or buying a new car, requires one of two things. Time or money. If you have both, great. If you got a lot of time and you got a lot of money, great. You'll probably hit your objective pretty easily, but you don't necessarily need both. You just need one or the other. So in regards to how soon or how late is it, to, there's definitely a such thing as too late to invest. And we'll kind of talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit because it's not the funnest. But in regards to too mm-hmm. soon or how early, there's no such thing. The sooner a person starts investing, and the more they take advantage of time, the less money they'll need. So mm. if a person does not take advantage of time, then they're going to need a lot of money. And a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it is really the, the question really should be is how much money do you want to have to save? And how much time or time crunch do you want to put yourself in? So I work with a lot of people, everybody from younger individuals to middle-aged to to elder folks. Usually, some of my folks that are a little bit elder, they're they're kind of saying some of the same things, that they wish they had started sooner and they wish they had taken advantage of more time. I have clients in their early 30s that put away 50 bucks a month. And, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 bucks a month isn't exactly enough to retire off of. But when you think about 50 bucks a month, 12 months in a year, you know, 20 or 30 years worth of doing that, at some point in time, 
They're going to earn more income. They'll probably start to increase how much they save. Once you see your your investment account or your investment uh, portfolio, and you see that it's growing, it's like a it's like a feel good moment where you want it to grow more, and it's it's not really a a specific how much do I need to be saving that there's no right or wrong answer in that regards, but usually it's a how much can we afford to comfortably save without impacting the quality of life. So a lot mm-hmm. of times, because that's the thing, it is, it is, and a, a lot of times, especially younger individuals that don't necessarily have as much money, they have a lot of time. They're they're a lot of the times feeling like they can't save right now because they have to pay for other things, and they don't want to impact the quality of their living. And this is kind of where you hear the the old additive: invest in yourself before anyone else. So it's. It's kind of like a good idea to utilize the strategy of as soon as you get paid, put money aside out of your paycheck and then live off of what else you have after you save. Um, and sometimes the only way to figure out how much you can comfortably afford to put away in savings is you got to sit down, look at what are you spending, what do you need, what do you not need. And then make a decision. What could you comfortably put away? Mm-hmm. And uh, talk to me about the too late. Because that was the other part of my question. Oh. <laughs> is it too late? <laughs> so the, the too late is, it's kind of like one of the moments when you're with your doctor. Mm. Um, and if you have something that they can't necessarily fix, they could just make it better. They can make it more comfortable. Uh, sometimes we have clients that don't work with us as soon as they should, simply because they feel like it's a daunting conversation if they don't feel like they've made the preparation sooner rather than later and sometimes they're kind of expecting a i'm going to have to work forever i'm never going to be able to retire or i'm going to work until the day i die because a lot of times they're thinking or feeling in the back of the head mm-hmm. i didn't save for retirement I, I i didn't do what i was supposed to i i know what i've got saved away or put in you know in the bank and i know how much i spend and at some point in time things are going to get ugly and they they don't literally stick their hand in the sand but it's a very easy conversation to avoid if you're not feeling like it's a conversation that you want. So sometimes we sit down and I'm going through their numbers and I'm looking at their financial situation. And sometimes it's it's all the numbers game. It's not an opinion. Mm -hmm. It's not a perspective. It's it's a number. The the, the numbers crunch the way that they crunch. Depending on how much we plan to spend in retirement, how much time we have between now and then, how much we earn, how much can we comfortably afford to save, all those components go into it. And sometimes, you know, if the client just started too late or they didn't save enough, sometimes it's like, all right, well, we are going to have a shortfall. We're going to start to run out of funds at this point in time. But you know what, Ashley, the the best silver lining in those situations, they're not, they're not all. Mm-hmm. Eight out of 10 times when we're working with somebody, we're able to help avoid all of that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we just, we catch people that did, they just, they started saving a little too late or they just spend a little bit too much. But the the silver lining in those situations actually is we get to sit down and say, all right, let's say we're 55 and we're looking at retiring in 60. We've got five years left. We didn't do a great job of saving and preparing for retirement. We've got a little bit of time left. And in this situation, maybe we need a whole lot of money, but we just don't have access to it. We can, at that point in time, kind of take control of our life and plan and say, okay, well, we're planning to retire in about five years, but maybe we work six or seven or eight years. Maybe we work a little longer. Or, you know, we were planning on spending 
$5,000 a month while in retirement, maybe we don't buy so many uh, cups from Starbucks mm-hmm. or maybe we don't go on so many, you know, vacations or travel. And instead of spending 5000 a month, which is 60000 a year, can we get it down to 4000 which is 48000 a year or 3000 If we can't get the spending down over the next five years, can we save more? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the three. It could be a combination of two or all three. But at that time, we basically get to customize the rest of our investment process of, do we want to try to work a little longer? Do we want to try to save a little bit more now between now and the timeline? Or do we want to try to spend a little bit less while in retirement? Again, we may use all three. We may use two other. I may have a client that says, you know what? The way my back is working, my back is killing me. I cannot work six years. We got to stop it at five. All right. Well, we're not going to work longer. Can we save a little bit more? Can we spend a little bit less in retirement or can we do both? Mm-hmm. But usually the the silver lining, which isn't you know necessarily the coolest thing ever, but it's it's valuable nonetheless, is what type of plans do we want to put in place to make the situation as good as it can be mm-hmm. outside of let's just show up to retirement and whatever's the case, you know? It is what it is. Yeah. 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 Like getting a grip over something, like at least trying to do what is within your power. Right. Which kind of goes back to the point that you, the question you asked earlier about, is there such a thing as too soon? And really the answer is no. I mean, the best way, same thing is if you're planning a trip, right? It doesn't have to be retirement. If you're planning to go out of the country and we're, you know, somehow living in a non-pandemic world. If you're planning to take a trip out of the country, say November 1st, all right, we've got about a month and a half, well, a little bit closer, two and a half months between now and November, you've got a time frame. If you start to save for your trip now, you've got a good amount of time, two and a half months, you've got plenty of time. If you wait till two weeks before November, if you didn't take advantage of time, you're going to need to start saving a lot more money, pretty, pretty tough. And if you find yourself in a situation where we just never took the time to figure out how long are we going to be on the trip for? How long are we going to be mm. out of the country? How many days? How much money are we going to spend? How much money is the flight? How much money is the cost of the stay? Once they get there, do I want to shop? Mm-hmm. Do I want to buy things? How much money is it going to cost me to eat? I don't want to be out of the country on a budget eating, you know, whatever. Right, or, noodles. Whatever I can get my hands. Right, right. noodles. <laughs> <laughs> right. I want, to, I want to go somewhere, you know, if I'm in France, maybe I want to, I don't know go eat a steak or french fries I, I don't know what the case may be but um just 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 it gives the 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 individual an opportunity to customize the rest of their experience and take control so that they don't get hit or cut off guard if that makes sense yeah it makes absolute sense and so ryan what would you just say to someone who says that they can't afford to invest because maybe they don't make enough money or they feel like they need to pay off debt first or whatever the case may be so that's that's another great question because it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I, I'd say it's it's to some degree common. I mean, we have a lot of folks that say I can't afford to save, and really that goes back down to the same um, same same process of we need to figure out what are we spending our money on, mm-hmm. and we need to figure out what do we need, and what do we what are we able to let go. Mm-hmm. Prioritize. And, prioritizing and then at the end of the day the 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 question really is how important is retirement how important is the goal well the goal everybody's goal isn't necessarily retirement it may be saving for college education for their kids or for their grandkids it may be saving to pay off a house or saving to pay off a car loan 
if the conversation is, I don't make enough to say for this goal, the question turns into, well, how important is the goal? Mm-hmm. If, I if it's not, I mean, it's, it's there, there's a lot of, um, a lot of shared responsibility and the, and the partnership between an advisor and the client and the, the advisor can come up with the advisor is not the person driving the car. No, nope. right. It's not. And sometimes I think that that's kind of the, the feeling, but the, the advisor is the guy that's in the front seat with the driver asking the driver, where do we want to go? Driver says, I want to go here. The advisor in the front seat holding the map says, all right, I've plotted out a course to get us from point A to point B. You said this is where you want to go. I've got the course. Let's go ahead and drive there. And if at some point in time we make a wrong turn or we make a left when we should make a right or if we get up on the wrong exit or whatever the case may be because life will happen. The advisor is the guy that's supposed to say, hey, let's do this so that we make sure that we get back on track. And my GPS says we'll be there in about 45 minutes. And we're going to get there right at three o'clock. Does that work out for you? Mm-hmm. That it's, that's that's the advisor. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. And it is such a valuable thing to understand that you have power too. Like, I know for me, that was the thing where I'm like, oh, I just sent Ryan my money and he does something with it. But you really engaged me in the process. And I'm like, no, it's your money. You know, let's talk about it. I have some plans. I have some ideas. And and I think that that's so valuable. And I, so I think in the age of Twitter, right, we have a lot of accessibility to information. And I see a lot of conversations about this idea that financial workshops or education itself is a remedy for poverty. You know, come to this financial workshop, read this book, read, you know, rich dad, poor dad, or get rich quick. What is the role of income, though, in wealth building? Can someone attain financial security without substantial income? Yep. Yep, shit can happens all the time. Um, so that pretty much directly comes back down to self-discipline. It, it, ironically enough, in my role, what I see the most is that individuals that retire with a large amount of retirement resources didn't necessarily have a high income. Mm-hmm. They were just disciplined with their saving. And the flip side of that token is a lot of times individuals that do have really high income they didn't necessarily do a great job of saving and they don't have as much retirement resources. Obviously, that's not always the case, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it is. A lot of times, um, individuals that just earn high incomes, they have high spending amounts, they're kind of spread thin and they've got a lot of liabilities. So they've got a really big house and it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. They got really great cars and they fly out of the country and they buy their kids all of the best and they put them in all the sports and it's it's more often than not what you hear from books like Poor Dad, Rich Dad, and from other books of the sort is to live below your means. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, individuals with the higher amount of income don't necessarily feel like that applies to them. So I guess I say all that to say this: um, you don't have to have a huge income. You just have to be disciplined with your approach to investing. And I will say that it's interesting because going back to the point that I was trying to kind of allude to earlier, there was something in me as an individual who notices when it comes to financial advisors in the industry, they traditionally kind of look one type of way. Mm -hmm. 
They don't necessarily look like me or like you. Mm -hmm. And the industry as a whole is changing that. Um, So one of my responsibilities at Edward Jones is to fund other diverse individuals like us and try to help recruit them because we're wanting more diverse individuals because that's the way of the world. But taking it to their client's perspective, that's the same thing. A a, a while ago, most investors used to look one type of way. Mm -hmm. And that's changing also. Mm -hmm. And one of the things... I wanted to do was I wanted to help facilitate that change. And years ago, when I first started working with Edward Jones, I felt like I could bring education to some communities, financial education to some communities that don't necessarily have it or aren't necessarily familiar with it. And a few years ago, I wasn't very successful with that. Just I think the timing may just not have been right, but for whatever the reason, during this pandemic, I noticed two large groups that are kind of having like an awakening moment. One of them is millennials mm-hmm. and the others uh, diverse people pretty much as a whole. And specifically what I mean is the Robin Hood apps, the Acorns, mm-hmm. um, all of the apps and all of the new technology. I've had so many conversations and so many questions from uh, about March till now about how to get invested. Is now a good time to, to get invested? I heard on the news that everybody's getting invested or I have a friend who bought a stock and he's made money and whatever the case may be. And it's like, it's a huge awakening moment for millennials and for diverse people as a whole to where I'm seeing so many of my peers and counterparts that went to HBCUs or that live in the Atlanta area. They're getting invested. They're talking, just like you said, they're asking questions about life insurance, they're asking questions about stocks and, and Roth versus traditional IRAs and, how much do they need to be saving? I mean, we've gotten the most referrals in the last four or five months than we have in the last four or five years. And that's a that's a big deal. Wow, that is a big deal. Right. It's a, it's a big deal. So like the, the pandemic is given the opportunity, but there's a huge amount of groups that are just wanting to know more knowledge and know more information. So this is a pledge that I've made to myself and to my community. I'm not necessarily looking to start doing business with everybody or to open up an account for everybody who wants to open up an account. We do have an ideal client. But I do want to be a pillar of information and share whatever knowledge I have about investing and about things that are important for newer investors to know. I literally just want to be a beacon of information. So anybody that has questions about stocks or has questions about how do stocks make money or which stocks they should or shouldn't be investing in and why. They don't have to have an account with me. We don't have to be doing business. There's no cost or anything of the sort. I just want to share whatever information I have and answer whatever questions anybody may have about the investment world as a whole, because I realize right now there are so many questions and I don't want those questions to be answered by some other individuals that don't have as good of intention. I want the Mm. information to be genuine, true, and accurate. Mm. And I think I, I very much appreciate that. Um, and one of the things I teach at Hazel High Learning is taking responsibility um, in our community. And I think that is so dope. So if you're listening, and you have questions for Ryan, you can leave him a voicemail on the Anchor app. Um, and I know that I have sent Ryan text messages. I'm like, Ryan, I got a question. And let me tell you, he's a nice guy. But I think you make a good segue into this conversation about like the apps, is there a benefit with working with a broker versus just, you know, investing a little bit or doing the rollover investments in the apps? Yeah. Yeah. So there, um, 
they're two completely separate worlds. Um, they're tied by the investment component, but they are two completely separate bags. That's, um, I would say, think of it as, I'd say think of the apps as you call, let's say you, um, you have a plumbing issue or an electric issue in your home, mm-hmm. right? So you do what everybody does. You call the electrician or the plumber, whatever the case may be. And when the electrician gets there, I'd say you, between the time that you called him and the time he arrived, you watched a video on YouTube and you're like, hey, dude, I got this. I, I know you're here now, but <laughs> I, I, I know you're here now. You're in my kitchen, but let me borrow your hammer and your drill. I'm, and, uh, you know, I got this. Right? <laughs> I got it. I got it. I checked some things out. I, I know what to do. I know I you watch YouTube. To I yeah, listen yeah. To, you know, I read all the Nipsey Hustle yeah. booklets. You know, yeah. I, I asked a buddy of mine. He said, "This is all you got to do. I've got it down packed, Mister Electrician. I know you went to school. I know you were trained for this. I know you had to get legally certified to do this. But <laughs> forget all of that. Not important. Give me your drill. Give me the saw. I've got it. I I, I saw how to do it. And mm. to some degree, in some cases, that may work. I mean, if we're talking about putting in a light bulb, or you know." painting a picture that that may be easy but again if we're talking about something like an electrician i mean you could shock yourself you mm-hmm. know we're dealing with electricity here it's not it's not it's not a joke or same thing if you're you know doing something with plumbing or whatever the case may be you could seriously damage this house if we if we make an error or make a mistake and that's what it is like when it comes to um financial planning again whether it's retirement planning or saving for college education or whatever the goal may be life insurance whatever it may be it's easy if we're just talking stocks, especially with the market we've been in over the last 10 years or so. From about 2008, 2009, since the last time we had that, um, well, financial uh, meltdown, if you will, or, mm-hmm. or recession, if you will, uh, the market for the most part has been on an up and up, almost directly up to the right bull run. Very, very large amount of growth over the last couple of years. I mean, I actually uh, was cleaning out my home recently and I found a market update, just a weekly update that ever jumps we print and we share them with our clients back in 2014 that said that the Dow had closed around 16,000 points. Today it's around 27. Mm. So from 2014 to 2020, it rose from 14,000 to 27. It's on its way to doubling. I mean, 28,000. 14 it's right it's it's a big deal so long story short um the whole idea of using an app to help with stocks or investing is great for the experience it's i encourage all of our clients i don't i i've had clients that have said hey i want to buy this i want to buy that and i may say you know you actually you can't buy that at edward jones Mm -hmm. like we literally cannot buy it and keep in mind, we've got a whole team of, of analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll go, they'll analyze the company, they'll analyze how they put together their investments. And if we don't feel like it's a suitable product for our clients, we will say we can't buy it. There are some things that we can hold, but we can't buy. There's some things we won't even hold here. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll get a call from a client who's like, hey, I heard this stock has doubled or tripled in the last you know week or so. And the return sounds really great to that person, but they're completely stepping over the fact that anything that has the return has a direct amount of risk. 
Mm-hmm. So they, they may they may hear that it's doubling or tripling, and they want a piece of that, but they might not realize that they could lose a lot of money also. So that's what the app is: is it allows you to dibble and dabble in a bunch of things, and you don't necessarily have the help of of, of anybody else besides you, who who is ever in your own network. I will say this though: for the person that just wants the experience of buying and selling stock, those apps are a great platform for that because it's way more affordable to do that on that platform because a lot of times they don't even charge you per trade or maybe like five bucks per trade mm-hmm. working with the financial advisor you're going to probably pay more per trade but it's a more comprehensive conversation mm-hmm. i'm I not think. a stock broker i'm not a stock broker mm-hmm. um I, I follow stocks and i'm into stocks but stocks are just a tool in the toolbox so whether we're talking about Stocks, bonds, or mutual funds, I'm here to do a job and get the job done. And within my toolbox, I don't really have a preference or a, a, a favorite of which tool is my favorite. It's whichever tool do I need to get the job done. So within my toolbox, there's more tools than just stocks. But the online apps or the, the apps that we have on our phone a lot of times are just a stock trading platform. They're a lot of times skip over mutual funds and bonds and the whole ability to comprehensive sit down, comprehensively sit down and plan, like I was saying earlier, how much do we earn? How much do we spend? How much can we comfortably afford to save? All right, now that I've got a plan for retirement, do I need to have a plan for my kids or saving for my kids' college education? Or do I want to pay off my life insurance? You know what? Um, the, my, the, the women in my family, they, a lot of times they get a certain type of cancer or the men in my family, a lot of times when they get around a certain age, they have a lot of strokes. How can I protect me or my family or the people I care about from these unpredictable type of events? Well, the app's not going to help you with that. Mm-hmm. I know Robinhood's not going to help you realize that if you're talking between a man and a woman and they're married or whatever the case may be, a lot of times when I'll ask the husband, I'll say, what's the most important thing to you? What What's the biggest financial uh, objective I need to be aware of, they'll look me right in my face and they'll say my wife. Mm-hmm. You know, if, something ha- if something happens to me, I want to make sure that she's taken care of. Mm-hmm. And the app's not going to help you plan for that. The app's not going to help you say, all right, well, sir, if anything happens to you, what we'll do is we'll buy a life insurance policy. Um, but we'll have one for your wife as well to where if something happens to her, you'll receive the life insurance money. But if she does outlive you, like statistically happened in most cases, because statistically speaking, women live longer than men. Mm-hmm. If that is, in fact, the case, then one thing we want to do is we want to make sure that she has long term health care and the money that is in her life insurance policy. Again, if she does pass before you, you'll receive the life insurance money. But if you pass before her. And she ends up having a stroke or not. There's a bunch of different things. If you're not able to perform uh, two out of six of daily living activities, so if you're not able to get yourself dressed, mm-hmm. if she's not able to feed herself, if she's not able to get herself up and out of the bed by herself, if she's not able to shower mm-hmm. um, or bathe by herself, any any of these things can activate a long-term care policy. And when I say, sir, what's most important to you? And he says, well, my wife. And if anything happens to me, I want to make sure she's well taken care of. When I say, oh, all right, well, we have a policy that if she passes before you will be life insurance money for you. But if she doesn't, 
whatever amount she has in life insurance, say two or 300,000, she could use for herself for long-term care. And she can pay somebody to come in the house and cook for her or to come in the house and bathe mm-hmm. her. Or she could pay for home modification. So a hand ramp or a rail or the chair that gets you up the stairs. We will put together contingency plans for if life happens and things that we didn't plan for happens. We don't, we don't want to get caught off guard because uh, the, the biggest thing that can really, really ruin a great retirement plan. I mean, we've got everybody on board. We know how much we can save, how much we should spend, how much we can spend without throwing the budget out of whack. And we're coming the la- the biggest thing actually that'll mess up and throw a, a monkey wrench in a retirement plan is an unexpected um, long-term care need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I've seen that in my family. Absolutely. Yeah. So we we plan for death often in the form of life insurance, but that thing that's in the middle where somebody doesn't die, mm-hmm. um, but they need medical expenses. So now the money that we have for retirement is being spent on medical expenses. Which two things. One, the medical expenses probably aren't going to necessarily stop. It's going to continue. But two, yeah. we're also draining our retirement resources. So now the other person or the other spouse may not have retirement money because they spent it on their loved one. Mm-hmm. It, it, could, it could really, you know, throw a monkey wrench in the plan. So I, I, I encourage investors to use the app so that they can get some real life experience. Um, and I always kind of say, you know, use your play money with that. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll invest the serious, we'll invest the serious money together. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that very much. And you bring up a good point. I actually spent some time working at a black woman owned accounting and investment firm. And I was really surprised to learn the different ways that life insurance products are used to build wealth. And I think a lot of times in our communities, sometimes we're hesitant to have frank conversations about life insurance and what people will leave behind and what we have to deal with financially. What do you think why do you think it's important to have those conversations and what tools can help people approach those sensitive topics? Um, boy, you're really hitting the nail on the head today. Um, <laughs> I do try. <laughs> it's, I would say uh, comfort mm-hmm. and confidence in the fact that it's an important conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you're right. Within Within some communities, ours in particular, the life insurance conversation is is not comfortable for neither the kids nor the parents. And a lot of times it's not comfortable for the kids because they don't want their parents to think that they're trying to, you know, get something from them or take something from them. And then a lot of times it's not comfortable for the parents because a lot of times I think the parents just kind of feel like, um, again, kind of just in in our community, I think, as for my Mm -hmm. experience, a lot of times the parents are kind of like, you know, you don't need to know what I have or what I've got mm-hmm. left over for you. Whatever you get when I go is what you get. Um, hope that there's something there. Maybe there is. Maybe there's not. It's a mystery. And then um, we're all surprised. Yeah, and you, you're surprised. And there's this kind of a, a a feeling of whatever I did or whatever I made, I made, and my kids, whatever they do, whatever they make, they make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll admit, in the last year or so. There's been a lot of progress with that as well. I've had a mm-hmm. lot of younger individuals come to me and say, you know what, Ryan, if something happens to me, I want it to be a game changer for my family. Yeah. Like I want them to have all the resources that they could imagine if something happens to me. And I think that that's amazing. 
Um, there are some cultures that have believed in life insurance and have been utilizing life insurance for years. And that really helps um, in regards to getting a head start because instead of hitting the reset button with every generation, you pick up the spoon wherever it was left at and you keep on running towards the finish line. Mm-hmm. It's a much easier, much better conversation and situation than you hit the reset button every time. And, uh, you know, a lot of times within our, our community, it's, it's a reset button. You start, you start from go, <laughs> you know, you start yeah. from square one every time. And that's not good. No, it is not good. It is not. So, yeah. <laughs> and thank life, you, Ryan. Don't li- I'm sorry, last bit. Life insurance as a wealth, as a generational wealth tool is great and is underutilized. It should be utilized mm-hmm. more. It should be utilized more. And is that something um, you are able to do? Do you do insurance at your firm? Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, great question. Good point. So a lot of times um, I think people kind of do think that as a financial advisor, you're looking to talk to them about securities or about investments. And I think that life insurance is a whole separate guy, a whole separate bag. But if we really just think about um, all of the components that go into a, a comprehensive plan, Life insurance is definitely part of that comprehensive plan. I mean, going back to the conversation earlier, if we put together a really great retirement plan, we know what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. If somebody kicks the bucket a little bit sooner than we were planning, that may not be part of the plans here. You know, Mm -hmm. we may have been counting on that person's income for another 10 or 15 years to get the savings that we needed for the goal. But if one person, Mm -hmm. you know, passes a little bit sooner than, than what the plan was, we need a whole new plan. But yeah, life insurance helps with that. Um, Long-term care helps protect the resources that we have. Um, And I think the biggest thing is a lot of times people are a little bit concerned or uncomfortable with the life insurance conversation because they think that it can get expensive and sometimes it can, depending on the situation. But what's the best, most affordable product in regards to life insurance and not paying a huge amount would simply be term insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times people don't realize that there is multiple different types of insurance, but term insurance mm-hmm. is very affordable. It's very unique. It does not cost much. I mean, I ran a quote, I don't know, maybe a week ago for a guy somewhere around his forties. We wanted to have a million dollars life insurance. And I think this quote was like around 42 bucks a month or something. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a, I think it was a 10 year term or it was a 15 year term, but term life isn't something that you use for the duration of your whole entire life. It's not a, it's not an umbrella that's going to cover you from beginning to end in regards to your life insurance. Right. Term is something that is very specific for a unique period of time. So maybe you've got a child, the child is five years old. And if something was to happen, place your income until the child is a, an, an adult. So if the child is five, that's 13 years of income. So whatever is your income, we multiply by 13 years. And that's at least the amount of life insurance we want for your child. Because if something happens to you or to the person, whoever the case may be, we don't want that child's quality of life to be impacted. They already lost their parent. We don't want them to be in a a financial situation that is, you know, on top of the the losing of a loved one. So life insurance is, is, it's great. It's definitely Great when it's in a space that's affordable. Um, like we were saying earlier, some cases, if if the individual, if the client just waited a little too long or waited 
uh, in life where they've already had like a health scare or a health concern. Um, sometimes trying to add life insurance, you know, when we're in our 50s or 60s is a little bit more challenging than adding it earlier. But the flip side is when we add it earlier, say in our 30s or 40s, we're probably not at the age where we may or may not need it. And it's like, well, if I'm 30, I'm, I'm not, you know, unless something happens to me, I'm not supposed to be passing away soon. I should have another 20 or 30 years. So it's like, why buy life insurance now if it's expensive and I got to pay for it for 20 or 30 years? Well, term is the answer. Term is not expensive. It'll cover you for whatever time period you need. You're not going to feel like you're paying a huge uh, cost or premium. And at the end of the term period, everybody walks away. No harm, no foul. You no longer have the insurance. There's no cost for letting it go. You basically rent insurance for as long as you need it. And then when you no longer need it, you let it go. Mm -hmm. I see. And then the other is full life insurance. The other would arguably be whole life insurance. And there's a few different type of policies in, in between that. Um, when it comes to a whole life, you can have, I think it's maybe around three or four main different types of life insurance policies. Um, and then you've got term. So really, I would think of life insurance as two different types, term or whole life. Um, and term is... Term is great for younger individuals, again, in the 30s or 40s that have uh, financial responsibilities that if something happens to them, they want to have covered. Term is great for that. For people that are looking for kind of what we were talking about earlier, like a generational wealth tool, like when something happens to me, I want my, regardless of how old I am, I want my family to inherit, you know, uh, a life insurance benefit. They will use whole life for that. Mm hmm to know you have given me a lot of information today Ryan and um, I hope you all listening out there um, I hope this is valuable to you if it is um, and you want to talk to Ryan more feel free to leave him a voicemail on the anchor app and Ryan what other ways can people reach you well ironically enough I feel that if I'm the person that manages your money that I'm also the person you should be able to get a hold of when you need to so I put my cell phone number on my business card. For the most part, nobody's really ever taken advantage of it, but the office number is 770-926-5503. My cell phone is 209-675-4092. My work email is ryan.j.walker at Edward Jones. Um, so an email or a text uh, or phone call, whatever is clever, I mean, we're living in a day where uh, everybody's kind of quarantined in pandemic. So traditionally, I'd be looking to do a, a, a in-face or in-person face-to-face meeting or conversation. But a majority of what my day looks like these days actually is doing a ton of WebExes or Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. So if somebody just has a question, feel free to shoot a text or a phone call. But if somebody's actually wanting to meet and talk about their financial situation or learn more about the Edward Jones process and how we work with our clients than a Zoom meeting uh, may be the next best thing. Awesome. Well, make sure you all reach out to Ryan. 
hit him up. I'm hitting him up. I'm trying to save every two weeks and every chance I get, um, get the information he has. And of course, self-educate. You can go online, you can Google, you can read the books. But if you want someone you can ask, Ryan is available. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Hayes is Higher Learning. The song of the week I have chosen is Money Ain't a Thing by Jay-Z and Jermaine Dupree. I thought it was appropriate for the episode. And thank you all for tuning in where together we are learning better, doing better, and being better. I hope you all have a wonderful week. <laughs>